Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Welcome back to Interesting Questions. We hope you've had a fantastic week. And here we go with Mishnah 7, Perak Aleph of Pirkei Avot. Nitai Ha'arbeli Omer, Nitai of Arbel used to say, Harcheik Mishachein Ra, distance yourself from a bad neighbor. Va'al Titchaber Rasha, and don't associate with a wicked person. Va'al Titchayesh Min Hapuranut, and do not despair of retribution. So Akiva, I'm going to throw it to you first. How do we decide who's a wicked person? Well, Avi, I actually think uh, very much that I like it to ascribe to the Mida of Dan Lechav's Chut. So I'm actually going to, before I even can give a valid answer, going to have to toss right back with, how do we go from Mishnah 6, which says, judge every person favorably, to seven, which says, judge everybody, including your own neighbor. So I think we could say, look, I look at my neighbors, I start with a positive outlook, but not everybody meets that outlook. Not everybody is a good person, and we have to be realistic within the world and say there are some people who are bad neighbors. They do things... And, and without getting specific, right, but they do things that, that are not thoughtful. They do things that are perhaps even mean or inappropriate. And even if you've given them the benefit of the doubt, and even if you've talked to them about the issues and asked them to adjust their behavior, it doesn't seem to affect them. And they still continue to act in a way that is perhaps selfish or perhaps self-serving, or, or just mean. All right. Well, now that you've gone over that, which I do think was an excellent description as, and, and, and explanation on how we go from uh, one Mishnah to the other, I think that you know, when we're considering about how do we judge who is a wicked person, um, I think that you've kind of very clearly set up the idea of a lot of it has to do with not just the behavior, but the the background intention behind the behavior. Someone who accidentally does something and corrects their behavior and corrects the mistake and doesn't repeat the mistake, that is not a wicked person. That is someone who makes a mistake, which we all do. And then we can get back into the the merits of tshuva, but we, we, we don't need to do that again right now. Uh, but the idea that someone might be without fail categorically wicked, I also don't know if that's necessarily possible to find either. It's it's someone who falls under only a black and white description. And the truth is, is that all of us 
really tend to fall in shades of gray. So I suppose it would depend on when you're looking at the ultimate balance of their actions. Uh, someone who is wicked to one may not be wicked to all. And so I think maybe, again, this is an idea where you have to judge for yourself. There are people who you want to emulate and who bring us up and make us want to improve our behaviors. And, and sometimes that's not necessarily to say make us more and more proper, right? There are people who have really great senses of humor and who have the opportunity to really bring us up in a different way and give us a laugh and give us an important, all of those different wonderful aspects of life that sometimes we're lacking in and maybe where the example where that person wants to be more machmir uh, on this or more uh, studious in that, but both are of value, and I think that that's an important thing to remember. So that's obviously not necessarily someone who we would say is a wicked person that we should be uh, distancing ourselves from. On the other hand, if it's someone who, every time you go out with them, they say, well, I think that we should go and, you know, get smashed and then destroy some mailboxes, that may be somebody who is worth distancing yourself from, even if they have attributes that they display with others that fit more of the former than the latter. So I agree with you. I think it is very relative. Um, but I also think we have to recognize that we live within a society or a community, and that means communal norms are decided by who lives around you, right? And again, it can be something as simple as, and I'm not saying this makes anybody an evil person, right? But um, do people care for their lawn or their yard? And do people leave their garbage cans out? And do people leave, right? In other words, if that becomes the norm in your community, then it's perfectly fine for you to do the same. If it is the norm in your, in your community to join a gang, then people might think that that is what is okay to do, right? You are surrounded by that society, and that is the maybe the only society you know or the only society your children know. And you are influenced by those who are around you. If you choose to say that I don't want to be influenced by those who are here and by this community, then you may not be able to say, I'm going to buck the trend. You may have to say, I'm going to change my community. I'm going to pick a community to live in that, that mirrors the values and mirrors the, the components that I want to have in my life or I want my children to have in their lives. The next piece, though, says to not associate with a wicked person. Well, if we don't associate with wicked people, certainly in some professions, how would that individual be expected to improve and get better? I'm thinking specifically on uh, chaplains who work in the prison system, or even, quite frankly, 
psychiatrists and therapists that work with people who uh, have committed different offenses. There's a lot of people who have done different things that we would constitute as wicked behaviors that when we get down to the knowledge about what happened, what led to this behavior, that again, we fall into that don't to don't be so quick to judge someone and judge them favorably because it's not always as simple as this is a bad person. And so I think those professions that offer that opportunity to work with those individuals are massively important. And at the same time, again, there's people who are, again, chaplains who meet with individuals before they are put to death. And in an ideal system, and I realize we don't have an ideal system, but in an ideal system, that's someone who was found to be guilty for some wicked behaviors. So I think this goes to an important part of the professional training that people do. Um, when people are training, whether it's for pastoral care, whether it's to be a medical doctor, right? They understand that they are going to see behaviors that are unfortunate and meet some people who may even have done some truly wicked things, right? Um, Akiva is a medical doctor. You're, you take an oath to help everybody who needs medical care, regardless of who it may be and what they may have done, correct? Yes. But at the same time, if the focus of this Mishnah is who are you spending your time with and who are you living with, then that's very different than who are you seeing professionally. Well, but Avi, I guess the question in that is, I know in my case, I spend an awful lot of time working and I'm also another group that I'm thinking of is attorneys, which in this case, granted, we... We, we may not have had attorneys, but we had judges who would spend an awful lot of time associating with people who, again, could be construed as wicked. And, and again, I would say it goes to that training, right? You know that when you are seeing someone who has done an act that is inappropriate or wicked, depending on its, on its definition, right? The reason you are seeing them is because... They were involved in that, and you're trying to help them move away from doing those type of activities, um, in addition to any other medical or, or psychological issues that they may have, right? So let's take a, a somewhat trite but I think apt example. So let's, somewhat, let's say someone had an addiction to alcohol, and was driving under the influence and had a terrible accident and did damage to someone else. And part of their either court-mandated or self-mandated uh, recuperation is to meet with you, right? Both you and the patient understand, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the act they did is a is is a terrible thing and while you are treating them for their alcoholism right realizing that that event was terrible and 
trying to make amends, if possible, for that event may also be an important part of that treatment. I think I think that's a wonderful point, Avi, and and yes, in that example, which actually is is unfortunately not necessarily as helpful as as I think, because I'm thinking of other examples. I'm thinking of, for example, an attorney who is required by their professional oath also to defend someone that they know killed their family. And I realize that I'm picking something that's pretty drastic, but at the same time, right, the I believe, and, and not being a lawyer and not having any legal background, I realize neither one of us does, um, right, but the argument that's made from the, the, the legal associations are that if no one is there to defend that individual, then our system crumbles. And I'm arguing that they should absolutely defend that person. The flip side is, if you ask that lawyer, my guess is he does not want that that uh, person as their next-door neighbor and would not choose to spend time being social with those clients. And so, while this is part of their profession, they aren't necessarily wanting to be influenced by these people in their society and in their community. They may choose to socialize with a very different group of people and to live next door to a very different group of people. And so my suggestion is that this is talking about when you look around and you say, does this community have the social values, have the communal values, that I want my community to have, that I want my children to grow up with, the way that I want to live, the way the Torah wants me to live. Does this community do that or not? And to be frank, to take it to an extreme, right, and I'm not talking about Russia's at this point, but if you are somebody and you look around your community and it is a, you know, Haredi community, and that is not what you believe, you may also be in the wrong community, and you may have to go find a more modern community that you can be a part of and still be Shomer Mitzvot. But I think it's really important that your community represent those values that you want to have, because otherwise you can't live one way and say something else. So are you putting this together as this is all under the umbrella of neighbors? Because I'm looking at this as distance yourself from a bad neighbor, one. Right. Do not associate with a wicked person, two. Because we know that this tends to be broken into threes. And three, do not despair of retribution. So I'm seeing one is your neighbor, is your community. To who you associate with may not be your immediate neighbor, but it is who your social group is. So an associate for you is a social network. Correct. Because I'm not talking about, I don't believe when it says, right, associate, that it's talking about someone that you see professionally. Ah. I believe it is, I believe it is part of your social network. It is who you lean on for the norm. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give an example. We have a mutual friend who, 
for better or for worse, convinced us against our better judgment to go on a camping trip. I'm not sure I would have chosen to go camping of my own accord. I'm not sure you might have either. But because of our relationship with this mutual friend, we chose to go camping. Right? That is a way where a, a part of our social network impacts us. <laughs> so we should not associate it with a bad neighbor. Not the one who took us camping, no. Mm. Wicked person. <laughs> wicked, wicked. Well, retribution will come even if it's slow coming. So let's talk about retribution even if it's slow coming. Um, I think that is the idea that, you know, here... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save that for a different unit. Oh, are we continuing with this other? No. <laughs> I think we're done. <laughs> As soon as I figure out how to turn this off. So what about the do not despair of retribution part? Avi, does that mean uh, don't feel bad if bad things happen? I'm not sure it's about feeling bad or not feeling bad. I think it is sort of a natural inclination to say, well, everybody else is getting away with it, so why don't I try and get away with it too? Rather than saying, someday there will be justice. Ah, so and it's not even, waiting for comeuppance. I, I, I don't believe it's waiting for comeuppance. I believe it is waiting for justice and realizing that the only one who truly knows what justice looks like is Hashem. And so we can't, I, I want to take this in two directions. One direction, and I think this is the more simple direction, is it really is not appropriate and not possible for us to say, oh, I see this good thing or this terrible thing happen to somebody else, and it must be because of X. Right? This good thing happens because they're a good person, or this terrible thing happens because they're a bad person. We don't really know why things happen. Only Hashem does. And to that end, again, I think it goes back to Dan Lekav's chut. We have to treat each person with the best possible lenses. And it also raises the question of Tzadik Viralo, the idea that somebody who is righteous may have unfortunate things happen to them, and Rasha Vatovlo, the idea that somebody might actually not be a very good person, but that good things can happen to them. And there's a variety of responses that rabbis have given over the years. Um, everything from famously saying that when we when when good things happen to bad people, it's because they are getting their reward in this world, and uh, similarly, people who are good are getting their punishment in this world, and therefore, in the world to come, the, the opposite will happen, that Sadiq will get their, their uh, reward, and the Rasha will get their punishment. But that's, that's really elementary and not 
it's 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 too simple and it's not a, a worthwhile explanation. So Avi, I'm going to put you on the on the spot here a little bit because I think you very clearly suggested that the idea of anything that we can possibly understand is really a simplistic understanding, and in fact, we shouldn't be thinking about anyway because we shouldn't be the ones to determine what retribution is and what it means. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to kind of answer the big one with maybe if you've heard uh, the best response um, about why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people? Because clearly we know we can't understand it. We know that it's not our place to, but we're creatures who always look for a reason and always look for an explanation. And well, because is not always satisfactory for us. Agreed. Um, and so, at least for me personally, the best response I've heard is that it's a matter of perspective and time. So understanding that each person has a mission, that each group of people has a mission and, and a role to play in the world, and that sometimes unfortunate things, even terrible things, have to happen in order for us to learn, to experience, to grow, right? You can't, you can't grow when everything is easy. Sometimes you need friction in order for there to be forward movement. And so this idea that those things that in the moment appear difficult, appear negative, and even from a, a sense of, of sitting outside and an objective perspective, may be negative, right? You, you can say there are terrible things that happen, and yet we're still able to learn from them and, from, and to grow from them over time. And so, it, again, it, it isn't a great answer, but it is the best answer I've found. So, I guess I'll chime in a little bit. Uh, I think that the idea of perspective is really important. I think that, you know, when something terrible happens, right, we have that, we have the phrase, oh, when you had bad luck, you should check your mizzizote. Um and we've heard that before. And I think, it again, that depends on perspective. Even something that was absolutely horrible, if you can find something where there's the opportunity to learn from it, or the opportunity to even consider realistically how much worse something could have been, it's not always helpful in the moment, but when you do have time to process what's occurred the idea to consider the whole picture rather than just part of the picture is often helpful. And if I can clarify, again, there are things that are objectively terrible and sometimes they force us down a particular path of growth that we didn't choose to go down, that we didn't want to go down, but that perspective gives us the opportunity to say, I never would have chosen this, but now that I'm down this path, I can 
appreciate some of the lessons and some of the skills and some of the information that I've learned as I've gone down it. I think all of that's really important. I think that, you know, and we've kind of, I think, talked about this before, where the the response that sometimes people give of, well, God has a plan, is not only wholly dissatisfying, but absolutely infuriating at times. We know God has a plan. We don't need to be reminded of it when terrible things happen. And again, I, I like the idea of thinking about what can be learned, what can be gleaned. Is there any opportunity for anything to make something terrible at least in some way usable? Because sometimes stuff is just terrible. Here's your question for the week. It is very easy for people to critique and criticize the communities in which they live. What are the top three to five things that you really appreciate about the community that you live in and that make it a positive place for you to live? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding. You know, I'll give an example. We have a mutual friend who, for better or for worse, convinced us against our better judgment to go on a camping trip. I'm not sure I would have chosen to go camping of my own accord. I'm not sure you might have either. But... Because of our relationship with this mutual friend, we chose to go camping, right? That is a way where a, a part of our social network impacts us.